Now I got it. Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. podcast. We're podcasting two days in a row. Yesterday, I did a Scott Fishbowl episode that was crowned with Scott Fish coming on. And it was one of my favorite pods I've done in a while. Um, I go through in that episode also, there's a bunch of my articles now out on Rotoviz, including my tight end heat map, which is uh, very helpful. And I find myself sometimes now answering people on Twitter by saying that um, basically so sorry about that a little interruption in the family that's what we get for doing these things live in our own home so um, we'll move on Uh, Rotoviz as you know if you've been listening if you get a Rotoviz pass and you link through my name, whatever my portion of that is, will go to Fantasy Cares, which is Scott Fish's thing. So, uh, again, my family making noise in the background. Sorry about that. You might not hear it, but I certainly do. And um, so I'm going to start the show a little different today, and then we're going to get into our guest, Gleb Gorkover. Last look. He had 432 MFLs done, and I I had um, dabs on my first year, and back then the top guy was at like 150 to 200, and and uh, Gleb's already at 432 MFLs. I want to find out a little bit about his life or what's left of it when he's not doing MFLs, and we'll find out more information about his thoughts on being such a high-volume MFL player. Uh, But in the meantime, the first guy who gave me a shot was Justin Barlow, the FF Couch Coach, and he asked me if I would play this skit, that it's funny, and I like funny. So I didn't listen to it. I probably should have, but I didn't. So I'm going to play that now, and then we'll get to Gleb. And sorry about the choppy start today, but uh, I'm going to go yell at my family while we're waiting for this to play out. Not yell, but, uh, well, maybe a little yell. All right, here's, here's the skit. Try to find that diamond in the dress. Who's going to quest on the scene as a rookie? How should I use my first pick? I'll do the research now and me my league's envy. But then it happens like 
like, oh snap, oh spit, look what I'm about to get, I'm gonna draft him, some studs named Trent Richardson, who helped me dominate my whole league, and then I watch him like, oh crap, you kidding, he can make a right decision, too thick, not quick, what the hell was I thinking, this ain't fair, now I need a running back on my team, this really makes my blood boil, I thought I drafted a stud, but it turns out he just sucks. I think that I could use a hug, cause I drafted a loser. Can't trade him for a can of beans. He's making me lose. Making me lose in fantasy. All right, that was called Blood Boil by Justin Barlow. Uh, praise or complaints can go to his um, email uh, on Twitter, FFCouchCoach. And uh, what do you make of that, Gleb? Oh, I thought it was excellent. I, I, I love the song Royals, and I think this one was pretty good, too. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i not a big rap guy, so a lot of that was lost on me. I had a little bit of trouble following it. Um, that's why I had to ask you, the young guy, um, Glenn, uh, why don't you, t- why don't you tell people how we can find you on Twitter? Sure. Um, you can find me at Gleb Grohover FS or just Gleb Grohover. Um, you can find me under both of those and for spelling, um, it's G L E B G O R K H O V E R S S. So it's not Glib, it's Gleb. Yep, yeah. But you're going to be glib. I will be glib on the show. Awesome. Uh, I'm excited about that. And then we can call you Glib Gleb. (laughs) You can call me a lot of things. You can call me Glebinator. You can call me Glebby G, anything you want. Yeah, I mean, why don't you tell the... I have a lot of names. Tell the audience a little bit about um, the name and uh, its origins. Sure. So I was actually born in uh, Minsk, Belarus. You might have heard of Minsk on shows like Friends and Seinfeld. Um, but yeah, I grew. I, I was born there, and then my parents moved to the U.S. Uh, in 1993, and I lived here ever since. Um, well, anyone who, yeah, and, anyone who knows me but, knows about my affinity for puns. So I hope you don't mind my my little glib pun. Um, no, I, I, I had it worse as a kid. I had worse as a kid. Um, the word for bread in Russian is chlieb, so a very similar chlieb chlieb. So um, I, I, I'm, I, it's it's not a first time. Gotcha. I, um, you know, well, I'm Todd with one D. So I, as as has been well documented by this point, I've got my own troubles. There you go. I think instead of uh, finishing, um, I did a skit once, and it was, I thought, pretty funny. It was if Arnold Schwarzenegger was invited to his first fantasy football league. Um, I might play that at the end of the episode. I haven't played that in a while. I've picked up uh, some new viewers recently. So if you if you make it to the end, you might get some more laughs, more than Justin's, um, well, not more than what he got, but in addition to what he already gave you. So um, we're going to get into the heart of our 
episode now, and we're going to ask you a little bit about yourself, where are you from, and how long have you been playing fantasy football? Sure. So I'm 32. Um, I work in New York City as a tax accountant. I've been doing that for about 11 years. Um, And around the time that I graduated from college, uh, I also started dabbling in in, uh, fantasy football. Um, Starting about 2013, I believe, I learned about Yahoo Pro Leagues, and that was my first exposure to Leagues for Money. So that first year, I did about five of them. I ended up winning some money, and I, you know, got really excited about that. Um, And I went from five leagues to one year to more than 50. Wow. And how about MFL 10? That was my little start. I'm sorry? And that was in MFL 10? No, that was just uh, season-long leagues. Gotcha. And when did you discover MFL 10s? So I started listening to Fantasy Feast podcast um, in 2014. And on one of the episodes, um, Evan brought up MFL 10s. And I thought, man, this is something that's interesting. I should check it out. So 2014, I did um, 36 of them. I did pretty well. I ended up winning six. So I, I had a pretty good record. And after that, I decided, you know what? Shoot, last year I should I should play more, so I ended up doing two seventy five. You did two seventy five last year? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty intense. I didn't realize you had done that many I thought this was the the year you really went crazy. How how were your results last year? Um, last year I I did a little bit better than break even, so I did two seventy five. I got first place in twenty seven and then I got uh, 37 second-place finishes. So if you consider the second-place money, um, whatever funds toward this year, I did a little bit better than break-even. But last year, I definitely followed more of the um, R- RBs only. In the beginning, no zero, zero RB. And so, you mean zero RB. Uh, yeah, zero RB. So my lineups were pretty skewed, and I had almost zero shares of David Johnson and uh, Le'Veon Bell. So overall, given that I didn't have much exposure to those guys, I did okay. Yeah, I mean you were profitable, and I just missed. So um, that that's that's awesome, you know, especially at, at a such a high volume. If just a couple things had gone right, a couple of injuries, um, and your zero RB had kicked in, you would have been pretty good. Um, when did what made you decide to go all in and be one of the top overall volume players? Well, I started doing a few at a time. So I, I you know, like I had success early on in 2014, and decided, oh, I, you know, this this might be a, a you know a good thing that I can actually you know possibly make money in. So I decided to do uh, a few at a time in in um, in 20 in last year and. You know, as I was doing a few, I noticed that, hey, I still have some slack and, you know, I could do a bit more. So, you know, I kept on adding and adding a few more teams until, you know, I was managing, you know, maybe 20 or 30 leagues at a time. Wow. Uh, You know, I typically tap out on the reason I like best ball so much is 
after about five to seven leagues, I start getting burnt out with all the, you know, start sits and waivers and trying to make trades. Um, trading has always been kind of my number one skill. And it's, it's harder to do that uh, today on the internet than, you know, especially with people you don't mm-hmm. know that well. Um, but it, it's, it's interesting. You manage 27 t- regular teams. No. So, uh, I think two years ago, um, I ended up managing 70. So, and usually, so I'm the opposite. I hate trading because for the most part, the trades, the offers that you get are garbage. And, you know, like finding like a small nook and cranny in terms of finding small advantages, that wasn't really my thing in trade. So my primary focus was always been waiver wire. So, and um, the pro leagues at Yahoo, there is just, 10-person league, so there's some players to get on the waiver wires, and I was able to position myself where, you know, I most of the RBs that were good off the waiver wires I was able to get. That, that's awesome. So you mentioned that you have an accounting background. How does that play into your fantasy football? Um, to the extent that I'm pretty good in Excel, so I definitely utilize it in just – overall looking at the teams and then also um, a little bit in doing some of my own research uh, this past off year, uh, off season, you know, I wasn't, wasn't too happy with overall how I did. And, you know, I wanted to see, Hey, is there anything that I can learn um, from the top players that I can improve my game in? Right. That's great. Um, how much emphasis do you place on roster construction? There's a lot of articles about roster construction, but really the the advantage from one to another isn't huge. That is, depends how you look at things. So, you know, for the most part, you know, like, you know, everything that I've read, you know, like, you know, it definitely seemed like having, you know, two, you know, there's some variances between having seven and eight wide receivers and having six or six or five running backs. But overall, when you look at the entire population of MFLs, they're pretty close together. Um, What I ended up doing is instead of looking at every single, every single league league and looking at, at that level, I decided, well, you know, in those, a lot of those leagues, you're going to have players who are less skilled you know, if you have somebody who's doing, let's say, five leagues and they might win a couple of them, I don't really want to trust that analysis as much as somebody who did, you know, I think the top players last year did more than 500. So I wanted to look at only the top players. So I kind of, instead of looking at all of my fouls, and unfortunately, one thing I don't know how to do is um, to kind of automatically collect all the data for the MFL. So I kind of manually went through this process and I looked at, you know, basically players that had more than 150 MFLs and I kind of collected the data for all their results. And when I looked at that data, the data was much more skewed towards uh, three quarterbacks, six running backs, seven wide receivers, two tight ends, and two defenses. So most of my teams that, this year are skewed towards that. That's very interesting. I mean, I almost never draft three quarterbacks. Now, uh, in, in looking at what these guys did, when do they typically take their quarterbacks? 
So it, it, it varies. So a lot of them last year went after Rodgers or they went after Cam. But then they also drafted a bunch of later quarterbacks, like um, um, more of like the Daltons and, and those type of players as well. So more it like wasn't who? just, you know, like all late. It was a combination. You said Dolphins? Uh, Andy Dalton? Oh, Dalton. I'm sorry. I, I, uh, no worries. I, I did I didn't hear that too well. So so basically, this is the first I've ever heard of this. This is very interesting. So you basically, by hand, manually broke down what all the top guys are doing, and your roster, and, and, and what was, did you get a winning percentage for these guys? And, and how much different was the winning percentage from the overall winning percentage? Um. Oh, gosh, yeah. So the percentages were very high. It was about 30% for um, – there was one player who did extremely well last year. Um, and, you know, it, I, I decided that, hey, this guy clearly knows something more than I do. He won um, about 34% of all leagues that he answered. So I decided, you know what, if this works, it is working for him. I decided, you know what, maybe that's something I should do as well. So – can you give us the name of this person? Um, he goes under Osceola48. If you look at him in 2016, he does, he, he's, he's done a lot of MSLs as well. Yeah, no, I, I recognize the name. Now, is it hard to, you know, whenever I try and find what some of these guys are doing, it seems like they hide their identities in their leagues. Um, how could you tell it was him? Um, the signature, I mean, you, you know that it's his team if he's constructed kind of what I mentioned. It's three quarterbacks, six, six running backs, seven receivers, two tight ends, and two defenses. But also um, you can check what leagues that player, you know, it, it, it's on their turn. So for those leagues, you'll know exactly what position they're in. I got you. That makes sense. Um, yeah, so right. if you know that, somebody that, is. Yeah, so they have the first pick in the 18th round, and it's on them. You know exactly who they are. Say that again. I'm having a little trouble understanding you. Sure. So you know, if you know that the that the draft is on pick eight in round 18, pick one, and you know that's them because it says now. You know, oh, that it, the okay. draft is waiting on them. You know exactly who they are in that particular oh. draft. Okay, that that's a, that's an, a really neat trick. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really neat trick. I didn't know. In fact, I'm gonna go real quick. Oh yeah. So, you know, you, so you have to do if you if it's not on their pick, it's a little bit more legwork. But if it's on their turn, you can easily identify who they are. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and he he has a different name each time, but you can you can absolutely just by going through that. The, like right now, I'm looking at him, and he's got you know he's got all these different names, but uh, it, but it's him. That's that's very very interesting. Um, yeah. All right, so e- even right there, that's uh, that's a tip on how you can study some of the top guys in the industry. So that's, that's really good. Um, and, and he was a strict three, six, seven, two guy. Two, two. Interesting. So now 
what about a tight end? Was he taking tight ends in like one really good tight end and one mediocre one? Or was he taking two early tight ends? Because I know that that's something from Rotoviz, uh, Rotodoc is uh, he just had an article out on, you know, taking two tight ends early. So, I mean, in general, it, it looked to be like a mix. I never, you know, got into like the nitty gritty details to really ID, but kind of from the leagues that I examined, it was a mix of having, you know, one early tight end, one media, like one, like, no road one, or you could have be, you know, punting on position and having, uh, you know, two, like two tight ends in the 10th and 11th round. But, um, so it was a combination. It wasn't really consistent from every single league, but it was a mixture. Um, and that's pretty much what I've been doing. I mean, I've been trying to target, you know, Kelsey end of the third round a lot and I'm pairing it with, like, a crummier tight end. Or sometimes I will just go for um, guys that are underappreciated, in my opinion, and but somebody who I think will be pretty consistent and somebody that I can skate by at a position and kind of leverage more of my early picks somewhere else. Okay, so th- that's interesting. And how does how does you know like your roster construction change based on let's say I mean you go into the draft saying I'm going to do this three six seven two two, like what percentage mm-hmm. of your leagues are three six seven two two, and what would get you off that? Um, oh gosh, I would probably say that it's probably eighty percent of my leagues. Um, what would get me off of it is one, I mess up and I end up drafting, let's say two tight ends that have the same buy or, you know, like I try to wait for a late third QB and, you know, somebody like even Hoyer is gone. And, you know, like I'm not willing, I, I have some golf, but like, that's like the last QB that I'm willing to draft. I really don't want to pick up um, anyone that might get benched, you know, by week five of the season. Um, so right. in those cases, I deviate. But for the most part, I'll just go with the flow of the draft. If I'm seeing a certain position um, early, I'm going to go into those positions. And then in the end, I'll try to balance out in the later rounds. That makes sense. Um, how much does draft position affect your lineup process? Um, for the most part, kind of where – the draft position matters more if I am at um, either at either of the two turns. And um, if I'm seeing that there's a lot of receivers that are going early, then, you know, might, might prompt me to draft two QBs a little bit earlier than I would want to, just because by the time the next two round, the next, uh, the draft snakes back to me, there might not be anyone left. So in those situations, um, I will adjust my strategy, but for the most part, I'm looking for, you know, best players available for the most part. And then toward the end of the draft, if I'm seeing that I'm definitely more skewed toward running back 
or if I'm skewed toward wide receiver, then I just just had get, have to rebalance my team. But for the most part, the only time that I really deviate based on position is more on either tight ends if they're going too early or QBs. Okay. Um, how, do you, how do you go about deciding who you like as a player? And, and how do you go about picking players? Sure. So, so like, like, I know that yeah, you – yeah, so I know that you've mentioned um, and you plugged the baseball app at Rotoviz, and I use that a lot. It's a great tool. Um, just doing so many of these drafts, I most of the time I already know who's supposed to be there and who's not, so I don't have to use it all the time. But if you're doing less volume, I think it's a great tool. Um, and, I also use for go for it. And you know that's interesting. And uh, I had Seth I on the pod not that long ago. He he's a friend. And he talked about pretty much the same thing as you. And that's how I drafted last year. And I just find that there's, there, there definitely are some surprises when I use the, the best ball app. And I feel now that I've started using it, I'm not comfortable unless I use it. I mean, I'll make some picks just, you know, like especially early picks, I know who's there. But once you get past the mm-hmm. third round, I, I really – because there's times there's the, just someone who fell and it's easy to find them. I, I really like using the best ball app. I, I think it, it, it helps a lot. So what I typically do is I will filter by, you know, by position for whatever I'm interested in. So, I mean, in the early rounds, I'm just not going to look at QBs for the most part unless, like, Rodgers is dropping to the fourth round or – Brady is falling to the fifth or, you know, Drew Brees is falling to the sixth. Um, and I'm going to be able to see them on the front page very easily when I'm picking my players. But with other positions, I will filter by position, and that will get you granular enough that, you know, for the most part, if they're good players, they're going to be on the first, um, first section. You have to drill a little bit deeper toward the latter rounds and when you're trying to figure out, okay, who's going to be my sixth running back or my seventh receiver – and you just have to do a little bit more digging. But if you filter by position, that should get you, like, a good overview um, of the players that are available. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts on exposure, uh, exposures for players? Um, some of it happens, obviously, naturally based on draft position, and certain people aren't going to be there when you pick. Uh, but do you kind of have in your mind a maximum amount that you're a percentage that you're willing to have of a player? And how does it change based on how late in the draft you, you, the player is found? Um, so I, I never, I, I don't have like a number, but typically my highest uh, owned player comes out to about 25%. Um, and I am comfortable with it. I mean, you know, and, you know, you, you just have to live with it. I mean, there's going to be cases that, you know, it's going to work out in your favor, and then there's going to be cases that, you know, like you think a lot of teams. Like last year, I had a lot of Tony Romo, and I was doing QQB, so, like, I, I just kind of knew that, you know, like, you know, maybe 20% of my teams are, are not winning. So. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that can happen um, with, with whatever – position you go with two instead of three 
you know, and, and I get it, like three QBs versus two, but it seems QBs get hurt a lot less than tight ends do. I, 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 I'm, that's why I've always been more of a two QB guy and a three tight end guy. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing that I would argue against that is that typically tight ends, if they're not producing um, touchdowns, then there's really, they're not going to give you a very high scoring. So I'm okay kind of punting on that position, at least for this year, because I don't think the ceilings are really high enough for, for that position. And you can get three guys that in a week they don't score a touchdown and you, they're going to give you all of them, going to give you eight to ten points. Yeah, it's a fair point because I just did my tight end heat map article and and it was the last position that I had heat mapped. And basically, for those who don't know, I go 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, and 40 points. And then the percentage that each player hit that target. And the tight end heat map, the colors were much worse, in you know, pretty much throughout. So... It's an interesting theory, one that, I again, I haven't really heard mentioned where you're okay with kind of punting the position, and that's kind of interesting because your number one owned player is a tight end, Jason Witten, and C.J. Fedorowicz is one of your higher owned players. So, you know, you seem to uh, be very willing to take two tight ends and one of them being a later guy. Yeah, and I feel like I'm trying to draft guys for the most part that I think are toward the later rounds, and I I can get decent production out of. Um, I'm not looking for, you know, anything great. It's just that, you know, like I think they can get me average amount of points, and hopefully um, I can do much better at the other positions early. Yeah, Kobe Fleener um, is, you know, you've got a pretty good amount of him. Julius Thomas, Jared Cook. Um, you got one of my favorite guys. You got a good amount of Kyle Rudolph. Um, so, the yeah, I, I see what you're doing there. Um, I, It's interesting. It's a, it's a very different. I, I'm going to have to think about that a little bit. Um, let's go through some of your higher, highest owned players, okay? Sure. Um, one guy that I don't have a lot of, but I wish I did, I've been going more, you know, I, I feel like Russell Wilson and Newton are pretty good values this year and some of the other guys in that eighth round. And I haven't done enough late-round QB. Like, when you look at your own exposure, I feel like I need to do some late-round QB drafts to balance myself out. But you've got Andy Dalton's your second highest owned player. Um, again, from using my heat maps, he was the 16th best scorer points per game last year, and he's being drafted mm-hmm. as the 16th best quarterback this year. And what's interesting about that is he didn't have his best weapons for a good part of the year in Tyler Eifert and A.J. Green. So I agree with you there. That, that, that's a pretty strong buy. Yeah, and, and he's available, or at least he has been available in the 11th round. So, you know, like I usually end up going QB, QB in 10th and 11th rounds a lot. So, you know, I'll try to pick up, you know, Rivers in the 10th and then, you know, you know, and 
and, and uh, Dalton is perfect in the 11th round for me. So one QB in the 11th and one in the 12th? In the 10th. Oh, in the 10th. I'm sorry. Oh, um, yeah, sorry. a lot of, a lot of my I'm, drafts I'm will a... go 10th and 11th. Okay. All right. Well, let's reverse engineer this puppy a little bit. So you know you're going to take your quarterbacks in the 10th and the 11th. What What's your exposure typically look at through nine rounds by position? Sure. So um, more likely than not, it's going to be five receivers and four running backs, but it could be like six receivers and three running backs. And I have some exposure to the early tight ends, but not that much. Like I'm not, I, I personally, like I'm scared of Gronk. Uh, you know, like it's like 50, 50, um, that he's going to have a great season or he's going to be injured. So, um, yeah, I'm I the don't same have way. much exposure to early. Yeah. I, I, uh, at one point I had 40% Rudolph and like 40% Ertz and I'm like, okay, that's too much. And I, I, I needed yeah. to back it down because, I felt like where you were getting them in the ninth and 10th round, they gave you top five upside and you, you were drafting them four, five, six rounds after Gronk and Reed and, and Kelsey and, uh, and even Olsen. Uh, not that I don't like those guys. And what I do is similar to kind of what you do. If they drop an extra round from where I normally find them, like if Jordan Reed's available in the fifth round or Olsen's in the mm-hmm. sixth round or Gronk's in the third or Kelsey, I just took a Kelsey share in the fourth round, that's when I get my exposure to those guys when I think it's a, a, a real good value. Um, is that kind of similar? I know you mentioned that, and I do that too with Breeze and Rogers, um, who you mentioned earlier. Um, or, or I, uh, most of the time, my first eight picks are wide receivers and running backs, and it could be anywhere from five running backs, three wide receivers, to you know two running backs and six wide receivers, and then go tight end or I'll take a quarterback. I mean, so that's kind of what you're saying too. Is that correct? Yeah, and just to add, just one more guy that I've been picking up a lot of of late is Marcellus Bennett. Um, I I feel like he swapped places with Kyle Rudolph recently, so Rudolph is usually now going the eighth, and I'm able to get Marcellus Bennett in the ninth, and if he's he's getting thrown to by Rodgers, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. The guy that I'm off in that area is Delaney Walker. I took one share, I think, in the ninth round today, but I, I just think that he his, his numbers fell off. His, he's older, and with all those weapons, someone's going to get less. And to me, he's the overvalued one in that price point. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually don't have a lot of them. Let me just uh... – I have 12 shares of them, so not a lot. No, not um, a lot. But you do have a lot of um, Eddie Lacy. And can you tell, you know, I I, 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 I've started picking up more Lacy lately. I, I wish I could remember who was on Twitter promoting him. I think it was Jacob Rickroad. Um, yes, it was. It was Jacob Rickroad who's been really promoting Lacey. And if you think about it, the first couple years of his career, Lacey was a top six running back. He's going to Seattle at about the same age and the same weight as 
Marshawn Lynch went to Seattle a few years back. I know that Rawls is there and Procise is there, but I've, I've warmed up a lot to Lacey, and uh, you seem to like him a good bit too. Yeah, I mean, when I was kind of – and I listened to a lot of different podcasts, and I tried to read as much as I can. I don't remember who mentioned it, but they were saying that he actually had really good efficiency last year. I mean, he didn't get a lot of touchdowns, but he was getting good efficiency before he went down. And, I mean, they paid him decent money to go there for one year to prove a deal, and they care about him, the fact that they have those incentives for for weight and everything like that. So, and from my perspective, I'm picking him up now in the latter part of the seventh round, so – it's not like I am um, picking up somebody with no risk as my, as my alternative. So for the most part, you're, all the players in that space all have some type of risk. So I might as well pick up a player that has upside as well. You, you seem to be a big PPR running back guy in looking through some of your top players, Shane Vereen, Chris Thompson, Theo Riddick, um, did you know? First of all, you know, is that kind of one of the things you look for, and where do you like to, to kind of, in other words, Vereen and Thompson have both seen their draft stock rise a lot over the last two months. Are you still taking them as much as you were early uh, at their new positions, or have you backed off them a bit since their rise? Well, I, I have picked up Vereen a lot earlier when he was getting drafted in the 20th round or not at all. Um, and I've been picking up consistently throughout, and now he's only going – I've seen him a lot in the 17th or 18th round. So if he's there in those rounds, I will still take him. In, in terms of – who was the other guy that you mentioned? Um, well, I mean, I see you got a lot of Danny Woodhead. You've got Chris Thompson was the late guy that you got a lot of. Okay. It, it, it does seem that you really like the PPR running backs – they make up a lot of your top running backs for exposure. So, yeah, so Woodhead, I picked up a lot of early on when he was going in the 10th round. Like when MFLs just started, he was going in the 10th round. So I got a lot of him then. And I still continue to accumulate shares of him when he was going in, in the 8th round. If he's falling now to the latter part of the 7th round, I might take him, take him over Lacey. But. Um, if he's going earlier than that, I'm not going to touch him. Um, so, and just overall, I'm just not willing to overpay for anyone, but if they drop to where their average ADP is, I'm willing to grab them. Yep. Now, one guy that you own a ton of, um, 86 shares of, is a guy that I have zero shares, and it's Torrey Smith. I get the that he's a big a big play wide receiver, but he's just been so awful the last couple of years. What's your thoughts on taking a, a, as much Torrey Smith as you have? Um, you know what? I, it's definitely more of a gamble, but there's really nobody who's, who's, you know, you know, they're going to produce at like when you're drafting in the 20th round. So, I mean, a couple of other players that I've been getting are um, early on. I was getting a tra- uh, Travis Benjamin or, I was, I'm grabbing a little bit of Terrence. Uh, who's the guy from uh, Dallas? Beasley? Terrence no, Terrence Williams. Yeah, Terrence Williams is the he's late usually, guy. Yeah. And I'm usually, he's usually my seventh wide receiver. And 
you know, I'm not willing to really trust, you know, like a fourth round rookie in the 20th round. I'd rather take somebody who's had good seasons in the past. So, and I mean, I'm not looking for him to, you know, to get a thousand yards in the 20th round. If he gets me, you know, a couple of good weeks where he catches a touchdown and hundred yards, he'll, he'll pay for his value. Yeah. And I, and I could, you know, look, Torrey Smith, the good can definitely get that for you. So it's just an interesting one. Another really great value guy that you've had a lot of is Mohamed Sanu. I mean, he's just been too cheap and he fits your profile of a starting number two wide receiver who's just going very late. Yeah, and typically the way that I've structured my drafts is I typically, by the end of, so in the first nine rounds, I typically go for receivers and and running backs. Then I go grab the quarterbacks that I want, and then I'll get through my tight ends. And then I fill out my roster as much as I can with the wide receivers in rounds 14 through like 17, because that's where I'm seeing there's decent guys still available. And, you know, I have a lot of, a lot of guys in, in that space that I have a lot of shares of. And then I'm seeing that there's still some running backs left that I'm able to scrape up for my fifth and sixth running back in the last couple of rounds. Gotcha. So when do you take defenses typically? Um, usually around somewhere in the middle of 17 through 20. Um, you know, if I'm seeing like a Carolina or the New York Giants in the 17th round or Jacksonville, I will grab them. Otherwise, I will just probably, you know, take, a, take somebody in, in the 18th round or sometimes even just 19th and 20th if I'm seeing that there's still a decent selection left. You know, you know I, don't, I don't want to be stuck taking, like, the Saints as my second defense, but as long as there's still a decent selection by the 18th round, I might actually punt on it all the way to the 19th round. Yeah, I, I find in most drafts, even, you know, I, I will take, it depends on how my team looks when I'm up in the 17th round and which defense is there in the 17th round. I've got about eight to ten defenses that I think are really very solid in that range. Um, and, you know, from the, 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 the Jags to the Raiders to the Rams to the Chargers, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks. And I typically, I don't wait until, I let my 20th round pick be a non-defense most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I'll grab one in the 17th, one in the 18th, or one in the 17th, one in the 19th. Once in a while, the 18th and the 19th. But in general, I, you know, I, sometimes I take a third defense in the 20th, not as much as in the past. But, um like you, I don't want to be picking a defense between, you know, the Lions and the Redskins and and the Saints uh, or the Colts when I'm only going to be taking two. Yeah, I, I try to stay away from that as well. But if I'm seeing that in the 19th round, hey, there's still, you know, like 15 defenses left, um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, I'm I might be more confident that, there's going to be a decent one still remaining uh, when I'm picking in the 20th. How do you know when to deviate from the best value? Um, I just, so before making my picks is basically I always look at, I try to look at my roster first and I can kind of see where, you know, if I'm, if I have a hole, if, you know, like I'm through, 
you know, 12 rounds, I only have like two running backs. So, okay. Like, you know, typically I would want to take a tight end in that spot, but okay. I really need to step up and I really need to get more running backs. So I just kind of look at how my roster is shaping up and then toward the middle of the draft, I have to figure out, okay, how do I get this roster back, back on track essentially. Gotcha. So I guess the biggest question anyone would have for you is, how the heck do you monitor so many teams? So last, so last year, the, what I was doing was I was, you know, like how you get all the emails um, coming in when all the picks are being made. Yes. Um, I would, I would search for the ones that have clock in the name. And by doing that, you're able to see, okay, these are the teams where I have to pick. Um, that became when I, when I started to do this year, I was like, I was thinking there has to be just a better way of doing this. So what I, I do now is I look at, I, I bookmark the page that has all of your teams on it. So if you go to your, um, yep. homepage and then you click on your name, it will tell it's you MSL, of all your, it's the, my league details page. Yeah. And from that, it, it tells you what what drafts you're you're on the clock on so i will just start clicking on the ones that say now and i can go through them um pretty easily um i can count through them pretty easily how often do you check um every couple of hours so the one thing that's annoying is you have to you have to kind of wake up every less than every eight hours um so like you know sometimes i'll i will wake up at 6 a.m on Saturday morning, which is not the most fun to to make sure I didn't I didn't get screwed anywhere. But um, yeah, I during work I try to check um, you know during lunchtime and probably around two or three o'clock and then you know five or six. So um, it kind of breaks up my day a little bit as well, but it gives me a good time to kind of to go through all my teams. Yep, that's uh, I, you know Seth was the one who gave me that suggestion when I interviewed him. And I've been doing that. I still get all the emails, and I, you know, I can delete like, you know, 50 emails in eight seconds. Um, but if I see one clock, then it's just a prompt to go over to the, to the my league's detail page that I have bookmarked. And uh, yeah, that that's a good way to do it. Do you, so, how many at a time are you doing? And if you're working, are you joining leagues while you're working? Um, I only join it as I'm going through my teams, and I'll see, okay, did the last league that I was in, you know, did the last league fire off? And if so, then I can just, you know, quickly add a new one. So I don't do this where, you know, I'm checking every five minutes or anything like that. But at a time, it could be from, it's probably around 40 is probably like the more normal number lately. I think I joined too many leagues over 4th of July. So I got to let a, a few of them die out first. Um, <laughs> and, you know, one rule that I have is when I go on vacation, I don't have any of these going on more of my girlfriend's rule, but it's actually pretty good. Well, if you want to still have a girlfriend. Exactly. Exactly. No, but it's also um, good just to kind of refresh too. I don't have I know to you check wanted to on, talk, you know, who got hurt. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the the the, the second and third round turn, but unfortunately, we're 
we're heading we got into your players and that was very interesting so we're going to have to pass on that conversation unfortunately um because i got a few more questions i want to get your thoughts on how much do you consider buys when drafting um, I mean, if I'm taking a position with two with two players, I don't want to have I don't want them to have the same week. So if I'm drafting two hands, I have to make sure that they don't have the second buy. If I mess up and I end up drafting two two tight ends that have the same buy week, then I will deviate and and get a third. And what about at running back and wide receivers? Because obviously, like you said, with two and three. You really need to make sure that you don't have overlap unless it's, you know, like I think one time Kyle Rudolph fell into like the 11th round and I, I, I might have had Gronk. I forget exactly what it was, but and then I had to take a third tight end because but I, it was just no way I was passing up that stupid value um, when the player fell. But it, with mm-hmm. the five running backs and the seven wide receivers, that's something I focused a lot more this year on. And for me, I have a rule where I won't have more than two having the same buy, whether it's five running backs, six running backs, you know, seven receivers. Now, I don't mind having two groups of two, but I really mm-hmm. try and avoid having three. Do you have any hard and fast rule like that? And how much do you look at buys for players? Um, I'm okay with three. Um and usually if what I focus more is on, you know, the talent of players If you know, if there's two players that are pretty similar in terms of what I think, what their ultimate results are going to be, then obviously I want to stay, stay away from having three in the same vibe. But for the most part, I'm, I'm okay with having three. Yeah. Typically, and I'm typically I mean, going, go ahead. And typically I'm going with six running backs, so I'm okay with having three there too. I mean, if if a bunch of them get hurt, I mean, you know, such is life. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I guess I get what you're uh, – for me though, often enough players, you know, we each have players on tiers. And um, with mixing up exposure, I agree. If If my choice is, you know – someone who's just so good that I can't pass on him for who else is there, then I'll, I'll, I'll bite the bullet and do the third buy. But I, I normally find that there's someone who's another reasonably good choice who I can take that's in the same ballpark of outcomes. Um, yeah, I would agree with that toward the end of the draft. If you're still kind of in rounds eight and nine, I'm okay grabbing the third receiver with the second with a third with the same buy just because there are stark differences between players in the, in those rounds. Like I will, you know, like if if John Brown falls to me in the ninth round, I'm willing to grab him, even though it creates a little bit of a sticky issue for me later on. That makes sense. Having flexibility. What are your thoughts on uh, returning injured players? or risky players like Martavis Bryant? Would you say that you're overall a high-risk guy, medium-risk guy, or a low-risk guy? And how much does your risk tolerance change, similar to the other discussions as the draft goes on? So the way that I like to view, I like to have low risk in the first couple of rounds 
I'm willing to, and then I'm willing to take on more risk at, toward the later round. So, you know, with Bronk, I have some shares of him. If he's falling to me, like at tw- uh, two twelve, I'm not happy about it. But I, I am willing to grab him there because, I mean, again, it's like a coin flip. Half the time he's going to do great. The other time, he's not going to get you anything. Um, and I have a few shares of him, but not too much. And then. Shane Vereen, I have a ton of them in, in the 17th and 18th round. Um, and he's coming off, I think, the bicep injuries or the tricep injuries. Tricep, But yeah. he, at that point, I mean, all the, all the guys over there are extremely risky. And Shane Vereen has produced in the past. And even last year, um, he even ran the ball a bit. And he was like a goal line back for the Giants in a couple of games. So... I'm willing to take on a lot more risk there because I'm not really sacrificing that much. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I just looked, and I've got either three or four percent ownership of Kelsey, Gronk, and Reed, and I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I think I'm going to want to get a little more Gronk. I might be a little too dogmatic because he's just not falling enough to me in the third round, and. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really where I'd prefer to draft him. But if he does stay healthy, he could win a league for you from that position. Yeah, and kind of where I do um, pick him up is where there's a lot of times where um, you're in the end of the second round and you might be 211 and Gurley's gone um, and Dez is gone and you might have, um, you know, a bunch of those guys that I would rather take, but they're not there anymore. So at that point, it's like, well, who really am I really going to take at that point? Is it really Lamar Miller, who I already have a lot of exposure to? So, you know, there are cases where I'm just going to settle for Gronk because there's nobody else that I want. Like, I would rather take Doug Baldwin, a bunch of other guys, but if they're all gone, then there's nobody else that I really want because I really I, – Alan Robbins is not really impressing me. Um, you know, just a lot of guys. I'm not happy with at that point. Yeah, I I agree that that I mean I know you wanted to get into it, but that second uh, the end of the second beginning of the third is a is a snake pit. And early on when we were drafting, there were more good guys falling. Like uh, I like Jay Ajayi. You could get him at the end of the second early, and you you just never see him there anymore. Um, Jordan Howard, yeah. another guy I, that I felt better about. What are your thoughts on Todd Gurley? Um, you know what? I think when he's going at the end of the second round, um, I think he's intriguing value because, um, you know, last year was was not good, but they are getting a new offensive coordinator. Um, I, I'm not sure if they improved the offensive line or not, um, but I, I just don't think, think it's going to get any worse than what it was last year. And, I mean, last year he was still a top 20 running back. So if he gets even somewhere closer – he should be getting closer to breaking even at the at worst. There is a good chance yeah, I, of that. I agree, and I think he still, you know, he still has a lot of the same talent. And uh, I mean, he was awful last year. I can understand why people would stay away. I've I've got seventeen percent of them, but you know, a, a good bit of it is that you know he's just one of the better choices late in the second round. Sometimes you even get him, you know, 23rd, 24th pick. I even picked him up in the third round a couple times recently. 
Yeah, but and it's not like I'm taking him because I am in love with him. It's just there's nobody else that I would rather take. Um, a lot of yeah. times in, in that space, there's just nobody else that I want. Yeah, I, I and I think, uh, you know, I, I was a big Baldwin guy, and I know he's kind of the hot guy to take, and it's pushed up his ADP because of the safety factor. Um, but I don't know. You know, he was one of my highest-owned players each of the last two years. Uh, you know, in the 15th round two years ago, last year I, I – Pretty much had, you know, he was a top five owned guy for me, where you could get him in the fourth round. But I, I think at the end of the second round, uh, you know, they've got Jimmy Graham there, they've got Richardson there now. Um, I, 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 I think he could be a bit of a disappointment. Um, I, I think he's he's fair value, or maybe slightly overvalued. I have him in fifty six league, so. I mean, he's definitely that I have a preference for. But, again, you're drafting him at the end of the second round. And most of the time, I, I do want to take Dez before him. But if Dez is not there and I don't want to take Ron, then Doug Baldwin is the guy that I really do want. Yeah, I mean, and look, sometimes, again, sometimes what it is is you're used to getting a better deal on a guy. And I agree exactly with what you said. I think that he has, um, you know, he's an equal or slightly overvalued player. And in an area where, you know, there really isn't a lot of uh, uh, guys, you know, but I mean, you know, he, he only had 125 targets last year. Year before he had 103. And, you know, the running game was so bad last year. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I, I just think that, again, uh, is he a bad choice there? Absolutely not. I just don't have a lot of them. I would rather, most of the time, he's he's going ahead of Hopkins now, and I get that too, but Hopkins, you know, has that top six upside in him. I don't know that Baldwin has much more upside when you draft him there. It, it, it's a perceived safety pick, I think. You feel safer with him than you do with Hopkins, but I, I, I you know, again, I'm, I'm not trying to be safe necessarily in MFL tens completely, mm-hmm. because you're trying to win one of, you know, a one in twelve auction basically. Um, so I, I, when they're both there, I tend to go for Hopkins. Yeah, I actually, I'm, I'm the other way, just because. Because I think in order to win an MFL, you need to hit on more than just your first and round picks. But you can definitely lose if you if you blow you know blow a, a second round pick. You can lose it easily, but it's hard. You need to do more to win than just your first two rounds. So I that actually like sense. a safer pick there. And 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 that and that's fair. Um, okay, last question before we get to the Arnold Schwarzenegger is how has your drafting of players evolved, you know, in other words, from pre-free agency to after free agency? I mean, are you basically the same guy drafting the same way, but just the players you're picking in spots change based on their values? Or has your, you know, has your strategy changed a couple times as you've gone along? Um, are you talking about somebody like Macklin or? No, what I mean is like, 
uh, for a while I was seeing a lot of really great values in the 17th to 20th round at running back. So I started doing a mm-hmm. bunch of zero RB lineups. Then I saw Chris Thompson and Vereen and people like that moving up. You know, Thompson, I loved him as a 20th rounder. I don't like him as a 15th rounder because, he, he, you know, his, his upside is not much better than the 15th round, right? And a 15th mm-hmm. round guy, I, I want to get somebody who, you know, I'd rather take a shot on a Donta Foreman as my as my fifth or sixth running back, a guy who, you know, has, you know, who could be the next Jordan Howard who can win you leagues. I don't, I think at times a guy, you know, so in the 20th round, I loved this, you know, get, you know, I thought he was great. So my strategy changed as ADP changed as news changed, you know, and there's these different parts of the season. So have, Mm -hmm. have you, changed your strategies your you know because we go into draft with big picture strategies and then we implement them based on who's there I, that's fair to say right yeah i mean what, what uh, like we mentioned there's a couple players that definitely the values have increased or decreased over you know since mfl started so i was actually picking up lacy um in the sixth round um a couple months ago and I think until a month ago, he was going in the sixth round. So I was willing to take him there, too. But if I'm seeing that, okay, I'm I'm seeing a lot of drafts where I keep getting him in the same spot, okay, let me let me look at overall. Um, and for this, I really like to use the 4 for 4 because they have give you breakdowns for the last two weeks, How what are the trends for players. So if I'm seeing that a player is trending – further back, then I'm obviously going to adjust where I'm going to take him. Okay, I'm not going to draft him anymore in the sixth round. I'm going to move him to the seventh, but I'm still okay with it. Same thing with um, Theo Riddick. So he was going in the seventh round. Now you can get him end of the eighth round and even into the ninth. So I'm, I am adjusting for those type of players. And if I'm seeing that, you know, a player is moving up a bunch of rounds, then, you know, there comes a point where I have to pull the cord and I'm not going to take him, um, you know, I'm not willing to take Danny Woodhead in the sixth round. Like, I'm willing to take Bilal Powell in the ninth and the tenth round, but not in the sixth. Well, um, that, 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 that's good answers. And just, you know, you can use, by the way, the Rotoviz app has a place called Focus Players. And I can see in the last two weeks, Eddie Lacy has been falling. He's fallen from about 72nd to about um 79th I would say and you can do yeah. and you can adjust the calendar but I guess what I was saying is you you came out and said hey I want to be three quarterbacks six running backs seven wide receivers two and two does the mm-hmm. does the, the, the does the changing value ever make you want to change your overall strategy or are you kind of like look I'm going to be drafting in these roster constructions and and you know players value come and go but I'll find someone to fit into those constructions at least for this year that's my approach is that you know like I will change the players around but I'm going to try to still end up in the same spot in the same roster construction but what player makeup that will be, that will be adjusted based on 
who is available. If I'm seeing great value in the draft, if I'm seeing Carlos Hyde in the fifth round, I'm going to take him. If I'm seeing um, Fitzgerald in the middle of the fifth round or later fifth round, I'm going to grab him. So it really depends on who is available, and I'm going to adjust based on who are my early picks. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the pod. I know it was your first pod ever. You did fabulous, and uh, I really enjoyed having you on. Please tell everyone how they can find you again. Sure. So I am one of the top players on MFL 10, um, and my name is Gleb Gorhover, FF. So um, I'm currently the number four player in MFLs, and you can find me on Twitter by the same handle. Awesome. Gleb, thanks so much. Um, If you want to hang on and listen to the Arnold Schwarzenegger interview, um, it really is better to do it right before the season, but uh, I think it's kind of timeless, so I hope everyone likes it. We'll we'll lead out with my five-minute and 556-minute interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Gleb, thanks for coming on the pod. Thank you. It was a pleasure. So I'm real excited to get Arnold in here, ask him a few questions. Arnold, are you there? Who are you? Um, Todd, you were going to do the show with me? What do you want? Remember you said you'd do the show? Yes. How are you? I'm good. You? I'm very happy to be here. What do we got to do? Well, we're going to talk about fantasy football, right? Yes. No problemo. Oh, okay, good. So when people would ask you to play fantasy football in the past, what is it that you would tell them? I don't play that game. Hmm. I'm not interested in that. Ah, do you think fantasy is important? It doesn't matter. Really? A lot of people think it's important. You sure? I don't play that game. Well, I play fantasy football a lot, and I've always been pretty good at it. I think it's important. Well, you must be very proud of yourself. I am, I guess. Um... What's the matter? Well, you weren't very nice to me. Uh, I was hoping... Hi, are you? Yeah, I guess. So um, now you're getting ready to play in your first fantasy league, I guess for charity. And have you come around? Are you a little bit excited about playing? Yes. Well, that's good. I was a little nervous to... Go on. Well, you're ready to do your first draft. Am I correct? Yes. And do you think anyone has a chance of beating you in this? No. There's a lot of trading in fantasy. What are you going to say if someone offers you a bad deal? Don't be ridiculous. Are you out of your mind? That's pretty funny. I guess that would scare them. What are you afraid of? (laughs) And what if they offer you a good deal? I like that deal. You told me that you have uh, been studying. Do you have a favorite analyst? 2029, Romford Rhodes. Excuse me? Romford. Oh, you mean Romford Johnny? Yes. Oh, he's uh, he's really good at this uh, fantasy. I agree with you. After studying with him, are you ready? Yes. A big part of fantasy football is trash talking. <clears throat> Have you practiced your trash talking? Well, I've got news for you. You are mine now. You belong to me. <laughs> wow, it sounds like you've been practicing, huh? Yes. And when you win, what are you going to say to your opponent? I can't wait to hear that. Game over. And what happens if they get sad that you do that? Why do you cry? 
That's pretty phony. And if someone beats you, what are you going to say? But I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine! Stop it! Oh, I guess that would get him to stop it. So have you decided on anyone for the first round? I don't know. Wow. So when is your first draft? Tonight. Where is this draft taking place? Miami. Ah, what time? Seven. And how much is it to play? 200. So, do you like my show so far? Good. Now we're having fun. Ah, good. Do you like me? I like that. Oh, good. Do you find me funny and humorous? <laughs> and my delivery so far? Perfect. Excellent, excellent. I'm so glad that you like it, Arnold. Well, I'm not sure you're going to like the next part as much. I, I wouldn't be doing my job as a reporter justice if I didn't mention the issue you had with the maid and the scandal. I mean, Arnold, a lot of people thought you were a pervert. I'm not a pervert. Ah, well, what happened when Maria found out? What did you say to her? One of us is in deep trouble. Wow, that's pretty bold. What did she say when you tried that? You're really inconsiderate. I bet she didn't like that. You're right. Wow. And what else did she say to you? You are damaged goods. Wow. Did you, what did you say to her? I have the utmost respect for women. Did she say anything else to you after that? I mean, come on. What the hell were you thinking? Yeah, I know. So at that point, did you fall on your sword? What did you say to her to try and make her feel better? I didn't mean to hurt you. And what did she say to that? Goodbye. Wow, that's pretty sad. What's your take on the thing? Oh, this is embarrassing. Ah, and what else? I think it was the stupidest thing I've done. Yeah, it, it was pretty stupid. You're right. So, what was the worst punishment and backlash that you got from the whole incident? My father, you know, uh, ran after me with the, with the uh, belt and uh, beat me with the belt. Wow, that's pretty old-school Austrian, huh? Wouldn't you say? Yes. I always wondered, how, how does something like that come about? How does it happen? It could happen to anyone. I don't know about that, Arnold. That's pretty weak. What? Nothing. Nothing at all. So what are you going to do after this interview? It's been pretty hard. I need a vacation. Ah, well, I guess you do. So it was nice seeing you. Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was really just amazing having you on. That's amazing. I know. So will you come back and do the show again? Let's do it. All right. Well, thank you very much, everyone. That's Arnold. And I really appreciate him coming on the show for my first show. It was pretty special. And I think that uh, I'm going to take about a 10-second break here. Uh, be right back with the Run to Daylight Football Funcast.